Hi, this is Lawrence, and on today's podcast, I'll be talking to Julian Burnside, an Australian barrister and a known advocate for the rights of refugees in Australia. This is a very timely topic, and he's a great interview, so I urge everybody to give it a listen. Thank you. I want to start by thanking you for taking the time. This is really uh, exciting for Radio 1 to have you on. No problem. Yeah, and this is not live, by the way, so don't... Okay, uh, good. We'll, we'll, yeah. We can... We can edit it and things. Um, I guess we'll just get started because uh, we don't have a lot of time. But um, f- I guess my first question would be for people who are in New Zealand or who are uh, – there's some people who hear this in America as well. Uh, I guess since you do a lot of work with uh, refugee cases, maybe just give a brief explanation of, of kind of Australia's policy at the moment with in regards to refugees and the treatment of sure. asylum seekers. Yeah. Okay. Um it's one particular group of refugees that I'm concerned about, and that's the group who arrive in Australia by boat um, without a visa. Okay. Um, there, are, there are two other streams of refugees who come to Australia. There are those who we select from um, refugee camps uh, across the world. Um, that offshore resettlement scheme is admirable, and you know I'm very proud that Australia does it. Not every country does. The second stream are people who can get travel documents from their country of origin and can get a visa to come to Australia, typically business visa, tourist visa, study visa. And once they've cleared passport control on arrival in Australia by aeroplane, they then claim uh, seek protection. Those people then, um, once their initial visa runs out, are given a bridging visa so that they can remain in the community while their refugee status is assessed. They cause no anxiety to anyone, and most members of the Australian public are completely unaware that those people exist and are in the community and are seeking protection. The third group are people who either can't get travel documents from the uh, country that it is persecuting them, or they can't get a visa to come to Australia, and the only way they can escape is by using people smugglers. And in the last 14 years, that group, the boat people, are the ones who have been causing uh, something bordering on hysteria in Australian society, and they have been the target of relentless political attacks, and they've been mistreated shockingly. Now, um, that, that's the group uh, that I'm most concerned with because, to put it at its simplest, I don't like the idea that we are deliberately mistreating a group of human beings um, and especially that we're mistreating them because uh, there's a political objective um, uh, behind that mistreatment. Right, like they've kind of turned into a sort of a political football for the different parties. Uh, they are clearly a political football. Um, and the way, it, the way it happened, actually, it started in earnest um, when a Norwegian cargo ship, the Tampa, rescued a group of Afghan Hazaras who were um, in a boat coming from from Indonesia headed towards Australia. Their boat began to break apart. The Tampa rescued them. And the Tampa then tried to put them ashore at Christmas Island, which is a, a small speck of Australian territory in the Indian Ocean. The then Prime Minister, John Howard, um, ordered the SAS to go out and take command of the bridge of the Tampa at gunpoint so that the refugee would not be able to be put ashore on Christmas Island. Um, 
his reason for doing that was specifically political. He was concerned that a number of supporters of his party, the uh, Liberal National Party Coalition, a number of his supporters were drifting across to Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party, which was an extreme right-wing party. So for that political objective, he decided to take a stand in relation to the refugees rescued by the Tampa. Um, unfortunately for them, the, uh, the Tampa episode coincided precisely with the attack on America on the 11th of September 2001. And so all of a sudden, instead of having terrorists, you had Muslim terrorists. And instead of having boat people, you had Muslim boat people. And so the community in Australia was sort of teased into thinking that we need to be protected from boat people, um, overlooking entirely the fact that most boat people who come to Australia on assessment have turned out to be genuine refugees, and most of them are in fact fleeing the same extremists we're so frightened of. Right. That's interesting because you still, even in New Zealand, you have people, I was talking to a guy the other night, and they still have the impression that people who are coming on boats are economic refugees, they say, people jumping the queue or people coming here for economic reasons and not genuine refugee reasons or humanitarian reasons. Um, I'll, I'd yeah, like can to I, kind of... Can I, can, I, can I just answer that very briefly? Yes, absolutely. Over the last, over the last 15 years, and I'm talking about Australia now, I don't know the figures in New Zealand, but I suspect they're similar. Over the last 15 years, more than 90% of boat people who've arrived here have been assessed by us as genuine refugees legally entitled to protection. Of the aeroplane people who've come to Australia, only about 30% have been assessed as genuine refugees legally entitled to protection. But the curious thing is, we're completely unconcerned about the aeroplane people who are most likely not refugees, and we are obsessed with mistreating boat people who are almost certainly refugees. And why do you think that curious contradiction has come up? Is it just the media or the government? Well, as I say, it started with the Tampa episode. It was a stand taken by John Howard for purely political reasons. Um, and it, the, because September 11 coincided with it, he began describing boat people as illegal. And um, more recently, the government has dressed up um, this policy as border protection and the under, underlying message is we are being protected from criminals which of course is completely false they're not criminals, we don't need to be protected from them, they're human beings almost all of them um, uh, genuinely fleeing persecution and entitled to be protected um, Yeah, there's a couple of things I'd like to ask you about specifically and I think uh, one of these is kind of on display here in New Zealand and that is um, I don't know if you know, but John Key has been prime minister here for quite a while, the National Party. And the labor opposition in New Zealand is pretty ineffectual. And they kind of come, they recently came out in a big spat and they kind of said something that was just blatantly racist about Chinese uh, home buyers. And what responsibility does like the Labor Party in Australia have for creating these conditions? Because um, a writer friend of mine said today that uh, the liberals will will lock up refugees with a, with a frown on their face and the Labor Party will lock the refugees up with a with a I got that backwards. The Liberal Party will lock a refugee up with a with a, um, a smile on their face, and the Labor Party will lock lock them up 
with a frown on their face, but in the, in the end is the same results. So how how would you describe the laborers' responsibility for this situation? Um, I would give them equal responsibility. Um, they have been pathetic on the issue, and at their recent national party conference, they resolved to take a tough stand on boat people. Uh, you know, I, I would say they're almost as bad as uh, the Liberals. And your your um, suggestion that the Liberals lock up boat people with a smile on their face and Labor with a frown on their face, I think that fits it pretty well. Mm. Yeah, because what yeah. I think this is By a... By the way, th- your, 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 your discussion of the situation in New Zealand um, it pretty closely mirrors the situation in Australia. But the reason Labor is so bad on this is, I think, twofold. Long history, uh, Labor has always been worried about refugees and migrants coming because they think that they'll take, quote-unquote, Australian jobs. Um, More recently, um, when the Tampa episode happened and September 11 happened, the then leader of the Labor Party recognised that it would be politically very difficult to contradict illegal tag and and so he didn't two months later uh, there was a federal election labor lost John Howard got back in and by degrees the illegals tag has become increasingly hard to shift and I think labor finds it almost impossible to stand up publicly and say look actually you've been misled for years now they're not illegal and I suppose if they did it now, they'd have to say, oh, I'm sorry, we should have told you 14 years ago, but we didn't get around to it. Yeah. But it, it, takes, it takes the authority and voice of a leader of the opposition to say publicly um, that these people are not illegal and that we are behaving very badly to them. It's only that sort of voice that will get the message through to the public at large. Uh, how how did the Labour Party respond to your speech you gave to their conference? I was reading that this morning when I was researching for this interview. What, did you get any response from a high-level Labour official? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I, I know a lot of um, Labour Party voters um, and supporters uh, read it and I think shared my view. I got quite a lot of um, response to it on social media and by email. Um, but, you know, I have nothing to do with any of the parties mm. and um, I'm not in contact with their leaders. Um, so I'm not really very surprised that they didn't contact me and say, I wish you'd shut up. <laughs> um, well, leaving aside the parties, I know that with the Abbott government, things have been kind of ramped up to a, a really high degree. I mean, I think there's situations now where you can't even report about what's happening there and just um, – Recently, I was reading another person died in custody. Um, is that because like the boat situation? If you listen to the Abbott government, has been solved. They say there's no more boats coming, and they even have scorecards at press conferences. Is that the case, or are we just suffering under an immense media blackout? I'm sorry, I actually missed a lot of that. Can you ask that question again? Yes, no problem. Sorry. Um, uh, there's, I think, with under the Abbott government, there's been a. Uh, they kind of have, there's been a lot of blackouts going on at the detention centers. There's you know the there's no more boats coming. I remember seeing a speech where they had a scorecard. You know, 67 boats under Labor, no boats under Abbott. Uh, how how much of that is true, and how much of that is sort of a, a media blackout or false information being given to the press? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Look, I, I think their their statistics on boat arrivals 
are very likely accurate. Um, I, I've no reason to think that they're not accurate. Um, the, the, the question then is, um, where's the merit in figures like that? Initially, the hard line on boats started off because of a stated concern about people who drown in their attempt to reach safety in Australia. And, I mean, everyone knows that fleeing for protection is a dangerous enterprise and people do die in their attempt to reach safety. Um, but the, the concern about drowning seems to have disappeared because we know that boats continue to set out towards Australia and Australia boasts about turning them back. Now, we are not allowed to know how many people drown in their failed attempt to reach Australia. Uh, it's um, a curious thing, but the, uh, the concern about drowning seems to have disappeared altogether uh, because if it was genuine, then you wouldn't be turning boats back because that only increases their risks. Hmm. Are, there any, are there any statistics out there from other media sources besides the main newspapers about how many people are drowning now? Uh, no, there's no figures about that because um, the government's official line is that anything like that is an operational matter and we're not allowed to know it. So it's, under, it's kind of under the guise of national security or something? Well, they don't put it quite as high as that, but they just say it's an operational matter, and so that's a, you know, just a standard response. If any question is asked that they don't want to answer, they say, well, we're not going to discuss operational matters. Okay. And uh, uh, By the way, by the, way the, the, the uh, suppression of information in this area has recently reached a new low point, with the passing of the Australian Border Force Act. And okay. what, that, what that does in part is to say that any quote-unquote entrusted person um, uh, commits a criminal offence if they disclose, in effect, anything they learn while working in the detention system. Now, entrusted person is defined in a way which includes for practical purposes, anyone who works in the detention system, whether they are employed by the minister, by the department, or employed by contractors to the department or subcontractors to the department, they're all entrusted persons. And that means that on the face of it, if a health worker um, in the detention system becomes aware of instances of child sex abuse in detention, it is a criminal offence for them to report the fact of that child sex abuse. Now... Mm -hmm. In the rest of society, if, if a health worker becomes aware of child sex abuse, they commit a criminal offence if they don't report it. But here, they commit an offence if they do report it, if it happened in detention. Uh, all of this is obviously calculated to um, minimise the amount of information that leaks out of the detention system, because I think most Australians would be genuinely horrified if they were aware of what actually goes on in the detention system. Yeah, that's really that's really insane. I mean, to, to hear something like that. Um, what exactly are you doing at the moment? What is there any specific case a specific case you're working on, or uh, how are you kind of fighting what the government is doing at this time? Um, well, m most of the plans I've got are confidential, um, but one thing I'm working on is um, targeting the main corporate entities involved in the detention system, Transfield Services, who run the detention operations, Wilson Security, who provide the security services in the detention system, 
International Health and Medical Services, the Australian subsidiary of uh, International SOS, who provide the health services in detention. What we are doing is targeting those companies by, by targeting their uh, financiers and major shareholders, pointing out to them that their financial investment in those companies is at risk because of the appalling abuses of human rights which those companies are either involved in or aware of and doing nothing about them. So, you know, a sort of divestment program. Oh. Um, that, that's one thing. Another thing I'm working on is um, uh, I've prepared a communique to the International Criminal Court um, to try and persuade them to investigate the conduct of various Australian ministers, um, specifically because of their involvement in the uh, detention system, because in my view they are very clearly involved in crimes against humanity um, and breaches of various international human rights conventions. And it seems to me that if the International Criminal Court begins an investigation, uh, that will send a message uh, that might make some Australians sit up and take notice. Mm, I hope so. Um, and kind of leading into from that, from what you're doing, um, just for a bit of back context to my life and probably a lot of people's lives, like my wife's Australian, I'm an Australian permanent resident. We're just in New Zealand for some time. Like, so the political parties have sort of abandoned us for people who you know care about these issues. What can we do, like on an individual level or on a community level, to to make this issue more known and to help to help other uh, people who are settling in Australia? Or a bit, that's a very cliche question, but what can we do to help? Yeah, um, it's very difficult. And to be honest, it's a question that I have been asked repeatedly over the last 14 years, and clearly all my answers have been wrong because um, we've achieved nothing. Um, but one thing I think is useful, and that is to work on the assumption that a lot of parliamentarians, federal parliamentarians, do not know what is going on on their watch. And so to that end, I've generated a letter-writing campaign under which people write to federal parliamentarians asking very simple questions. And I've, I've listed I've put about 10 or 15 questions that could be asked. And I've also given some guidance on the way the letter should be framed. So you do not write a two-page letter explaining why they're wrong and you're right. Mm -hmm. Instead, the model letter would be something like this. Dear X, I'm a voter in your electorate. Do you think vote people are illegal? Question mark. If yes, what offence do they commit? Question mark. Yours faithfully. Now, letters like that give them nowhere to hide. If they don't answer it, you write again and say, I wrote to you. Here are my questions again. You're safely. Um, if, they, if you get back two pages from a staffer, which is the typical response, then you write back and say, well, thank you very much for that. You didn't actually answer the questions. Here they are again. You're safely. Now, something like that will eventually, if enough people write to enough federal parliamentarians, um, questions in letters like that will make them stop and think. It will make them try and find out the facts. And if they find out the facts, most of them will be shocked. Although, all that said, I recently got a, a batch of correspondence from a lady who lives in country Victoria. 
She had written to 45 federal parliamentarians. Uh, she sent me uh, a note saying that of the 45 she had written to, only nine responded at all. The others simply didn't even acknowledge that she had written to them. And this was months later. Okay, so it's not just a male thing. So um, uh, months later, none of them had replied except the nine. Of those nine, only one actually answered the questions. The other eight, um, you know, gave basically your standard liberal national press release. The one who did reply and did answer the questions was Senator, uh, Senator Abetz from Tasmania, and he said, yes, they're illegal. Uh, actually, the questions were, are they treated humanely and are they illegal? He said, yes, they're treated humanely, and yes, they're illegal, um, which I guess says more about him than it says about the issue. Hmm. This but, kind of, it also but, shows... But, but, it, but it is interesting that 44 out of 45 did not answer the questions. It, it shows what we're up against, I guess, for people who care about this issue. And, um, um, well, we're going to have to wrap it up. I really appreciate you coming on. I've read your book recently, Watching Brief. Is that right? Is that uh-huh. Watching Brief? Yep. And uh, I'll follow you on Twitter. If For people who are listening to this here in New Zealand and they want to know more about your work and where they can find you, uh, apart from Twitter, where, where are you present um, online? Or are you coming to New Zealand anytime uh, in the future? Uh, no, I was in New Zealand, I think, last year, but I've no immediate plans come there again, although I do like New Zealand, so I want to come there again. And, yeah. of course, at the time of Tampa, New Zealand distinguished itself uh, as an exemplary uh, global citizen. I thought it, was, it behaved marvellously. Things might have slid backwards a bit since John Key was elected, um, but that's more a matter for you to comment on than for me. Um, as for whereabouts people can find me, I, I've got a website which I keep up to date fairly regularly with um, uh, postings, and that is um, julianburnside.com.au, and that's probably the best way for people to keep in touch. Um, yeah, and I'm just I'm just starting up a, a, a YouTube channel, but there's probably not going to be anything terribly exciting on that. Okay. Well, uh, Mr. Uh, Julian, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know that our listeners here in Dunedin, if you do come back to New Zealand, be sure to come to Dunedin. It's a little beautiful I, little place. I will. Thank you. Can I, can I, can I add one little uh, Absolutely. on a different subject? Yep. But um, I'm, uh, you may or may not know, I'm very enthusiastic about music generally and chamber music in particular. Um, I, I regularly commission uh, music from uh, Australian composers. Uh, whenever I commission music, I'm very hands-off, except recently. Just recently, I was very prescriptive about a commission, and the work has been written. I said that it had to be between three and four minutes. It had to be for piano trio. It had to draw on some of the most loved themes from the romantic repertoire, and it must be called wind farm music dedicated to Tony Abbott. Um, <laughs> anyone who keeps in touch with Australian politics will understand the point of that. And we're, uh, now it has been written, it's going to be premiered next week uh, in Melbourne. And we have p- uh, piano trios in Melbourne, in Sydney and in London, all of whom are eager to perform it and put it up on YouTube and spread links to it around on social media so that 
um, I hope many, many people will begin to think differently about Tony Abbott's attitude to wind farms. Oh. Uh, this is this is thank for people who don't know. This is where the, they are pretty much anti wind farm, and they they complain about the noise they make, and that they uh, what did Joe Hockey say? They were he 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 thought the drive to Canberra was ruined by the yeah. wind farms, and it's yeah, just, yeah yeah and 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 and, um, and Tony Abbott recently said that he thinks they're ugly, um, and so the point about this is it's a beautiful piece of music um, about wind farms and dedicated to Tony Abbott. And I want, I want to reach the position where a journalist will think it relevant to ask Tony Abbott what he thinks of the wind star music dedicated to him. And of course he won't be able to say that he likes it because that would be inconsistent with his message. But if he says he doesn't like it, it will be equivalent to saying that he doesn't like kittens. Hmm, that's an interesting that's, strategy. Yeah, well, <laughs> who knows? It, it, it's all good fun anyway. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to listening to it now, and um, okay. I'll, I'll, well, I'll be sure. Watch it on YouTube. It'll be on YouTube uh, by the end of next week. Okay, I'll play it for my listeners here. When this, okay. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot, Bye. Julian. Have a great afternoon. Okay, thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. Bye.